0: The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au. That's www.noblebaptist.org.au. And what you're going to do is you're going to put your finger in Ephesians chapter 4, and then take your Bibles and flip backwards to the book of the Psalms and Psalm 19. We're going to read a few verses there, and then we'll read a few verses in Second Timothy, and then we're going to come back and read Ephesians chapter 4. So Psalm 19, with your finger still, in Ephesians 4. Why are we doing that? It's because we're going to read a couple of texts that will uh, weigh heavily on what we're going to say from Ephesians 4. So rather than jump back and keep reading them, I'm just going to read them at the beginning and you can kind of keep them in your mind as we go through our message today. So Psalm 19, beginning at verse 7, very well-known passage of Scripture speaking about God's Word, the ancient words that we were just singing about. And it says this, the law of the Lord is perfect. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I will be acquitted of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Take your Bibles again now flip all the way to near the end to 2nd Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. 2nd Timothy 3 verse 14 and we'll read all the way down to 4 and verse 5. Paul is writing to his young friend and pastor, Timothy, who is working at the church in Ephesus, and he says this, "'You, however, continue in the things you have learned to become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus.'" All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good word. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction." For the time will come when they will not endure a sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And now back to Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll read verses 7 all the way to verse 16. Again, Paul is writing and he says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ as a result. We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him or into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And we trust that God will add blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Let's uh, let's pray again, shall we? Loving Father, as we come again with the word of God open before us, Father, it is your word that reveals Christ to us. And Father, we stand back this morning and we realize the gifts that you have given to the church. One of the greatest is the word of God. Father, we realize when we look back through church history, and we think about all those men and women who existed for centuries having fragments and bits and pieces of a forbidden word of God unable to open it and hold it boldly and securely. We think about men like the Lollards in Wycliffe's time who were burned at the stake for owning even a page of Scripture. Father, your word is ancient words, and yet, O God, it is absolutely relevant and true for every day, this day, and for eternity to come. Father, we thank you for the subject and content of the word of God is our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, as we consider these gifts are given to the church, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see Jesus, to see the glory of who he is. And to realize, oh God, that the word of God that you have given to us is written for us, that we might see him, we might glory in him, we might worship him, but we might also be transformed into his image as the word does its work. Father, we pray. As a church, oh God, we pray that the word would do its work in all of our hearts this day. Father, we ask you for help. Again, Lord, I'm reminded that apart from you, I can do nothing. And Father, as we would open the word together, and Father, I would take that responsibility of speaking the word of God, of preaching your word. Father, I pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, the enablement of God the Holy Spirit to accurately and carefully and wisely speak forth your word. Father, again, I ask you, that you would allow my voice to fall silent even around me, but that your voice would speak to the heart of every single person in this room. Father, rebuke us where we need to be rebuked. Father, encourage those who are downcast and struggling and weary with the journey this day. Father, we pray that you would speak to us and that we would have ears to see, to hear, to see too, Lord what your Spirit would say to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Goal of this message is to see the ministry gifts that Christ gave the church and for the fact that they are for Christ's likeness I want us to see that the apostles reveal and explain Christ to us, speaking and writing biblical revelation of God through Christ. I want us all to see that evangelists are called, uh, called and given a gift to call us to discipleship, to Christ, to become Christ-like. I want us to see what the gift of prophecy is as God's spoken, God's spokesman declaring the word of God that we might be shaped into the image of Christ. I want us to see this morning that there are pastors and teachers and shepherds given to the church to shepherd us towards Christ-likeness. Shepherds and pastors are there to lead the church, but they're leading to a very specific goal and end in mind. And that is that we might be all like Christ. That we might present the church mature and complete and finished and shaped in the image of Christ when he comes to gather us for himself. And so I want to set before you a couple of things this morning. They're, just, they're very simple. They're right out of the text. you got the little yellow sheet there if you want to follow along. The four gifts, four of the five. Christ gave apostles, number one, to write God's word. Secondly, Christ gave evangelists to call us to Christ. Thirdly, Christ gave preachers to call us to Christ's likeness. And four, number four, Christ gave pastors to shepherd us to Christ's likeness as well. And we'll look at all those four together this morning. So first of all, Christ gave the church the apostles, he says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and so on. Who were these apostles? Every once in a while you hear different Christian traditions talking about their apostles still alive today. Well, that's actually impossible, impossible because apostles were specifically eyewitnesses to Christ's life and ministry and resurrection. The Bible tells us. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 21 and 22, that when they were picking somebody to take Judas's place, the requirement for that person was he had to be an eyewitness to the life and the ministry and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 8, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and describes all of those men, the apostles and witnesses to his resurrection. So one of the requirements to be an apostle was you had to have visibly seen the resurrected Christ in that resurrection body and glory. So we know that there are no apostles today because all of those men have died off. John the apostle, writing from the island of Patmos, was the very last of those apostles to die off. The apostles were the New Testament continuation of the Old Testament writing prophets. You may remember back in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It's the idea there of the Old Testament writings and the New Testament writings. So where the Old Testament prophets finished off with Malachi, the New Testament apostles picked up the, the task and they carried on writing scripture. Okay, so where Moses was a prophet who wrote the Pentateuch and Samuel wrote most likely Joshua and Judges and Samuel... And Ezra, the tradition carries quite strongly that Ezra wrote Kings and Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah and probably Esther too. And what he would have done is gone back in Babylon and gathered up all the scrolls and bits and pieces of fragments of the Old Testament writings that had been passed down and handed on. And he put them all together and he compiled them into all of those books. That's why those Old Testament books don't typically have an author's name listed. But tradition has it that Ezra, the great scribe who stood up. You remember the scene in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8? All the people gathered together early morning as the first dawn was breaking. And they said, Ezra, bring the book. And Ezra had been working all those years in captivity, putting together and assembling an Old Testament book. And the Bible says he stood up. Preachers love this verse. He stood up and for six Hours from first light until midday he read from the book of the law can you imagine a six hour sermon <laughs> yeah you're all going no please not that it's like me times six and a half but if you pick it at slow speed it's probably me times about eight right? so it, it, these guys got together and they stood there they stood by the way maybe you should all stand while I preach no don't you don't have to do that And for six hours he stood there while he read from the book of the law. And the Bible says that men gathered on both sides of him and they gave the sense of that book. Explaining the words, what they meant. And all the people of God, when he stood up to read, they stood up as well and they bowed down. Lifted their hands up and they bowed down with their heads to the ground. And they worshipped as Ezra read from the book. He was one of the Old Testament prophets who wrote the word of God. The apostles were given the privilege and the responsibility, a few of them, not all of them, to write and speak Scripture. So what we have is Matthew, who is also called Levi, was an apostle. And he wrote, preached and he wrote to explain and reveal the Lord Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the teacher of his disciples. Remember the book of Matthew? Just like in the Old Testament, there's five books of Moses called the Pentateuch. So in the book of Matthew, there's five great discourses. Coincidence? No way. The Holy Spirit doesn't work like that. It's not coincidence. It's supposed to be there. And Matthew is writing to reveal to us the Lord Jesus Christ who gathered his disciples and taught them the new words of God that he was giving to them. Remember Matthew again? Remember what he said? You have heard it said But I say unto you, he was saying, thus says the Lord. And he was the Lord as he spoke. More than as he spoke. Obviously, we know that too. Matthew wrote to explain Jesus Christ, the King of kings and teacher of disciples. Mark wrote. And you say, who's Mark? He's not one of the apostles listed. We know from history that Mark traveled around with Peter. And at the end of his life, the church in Rome came to Mark and said, hey, Mark. Would you tell us all the things that Peter wrote about and spoke about and taught about? And so Mark sat down and he very carefully compiled his gospel from all the things he remembered that Peter told him about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even though Mark was not an apostle, everything he wrote he got from Peter, who is very clearly an apostle. Luke wrote uh, from Paul's ministry. He took all the things that Paul said, all his sermons and different accounts he gave, plus all his own research, and he compiled and put together the gospel according to Luke. By the way, a little time out. How many here have seen the movie The Apostle Paul that's on the poster back there? Anybody gone see it? Heather and I went and saw it on Monday night and I can give it a a 9.5 stars out of 10, and I strongly encourage you you got some time and you can get to the theater before they they put it out. Go see it. Uh, There are a few details that are a little not quite correct, but 99.9% of it is really good, and the sense of the whole story is really well told about Apostle Paul and Luke dealing with a church in Rome and suffering and the struggles before... uh, Paul is eventually put to death. The last scene in the story is Paul uh, being killed at the end. Nothing grisly, but it's, it's very well done, and I strongly encourage you to go see it. Luke wrote to reveal and explain Christ as the Son of Man. John the Apostle spoke and wrote his gospel to reveal and explain to us Christ, the Son of the living God, as the Word made flesh. He wrote to explain Christ as the great I am, the bread of life, the light of life, the way, the truth, and the life. He wrote to explain to us Christ as both the Lamb of God for sinners slain and Christ the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Paul the Apostle, we all know his writings, Luke, by the way, takes actually the slightly bigger section of the writings of the Old Testament, of New Testament. Luke takes a slightly smaller section, all those little books he wrote, but Luke and Acts are actually slightly more. Paul, the Apostle, wrote to explain Christ, our Savior, who saved us from the wrath of God as justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. All those five solas, that we hold on to as a Reformed faith, they're all in Paul's writings. He wrote to explain Christ to us. Peter the Apostle. We've been enjoying a great time on Wednesday nights going through First Peter. It's taken a long time, but we're in no hurry because there's just so much to get out of it. And we were enjoying this week and last week about Christ the Cornerstone, the Mediator, the one who takes our spiritual sacrifices as we offer them to God, and He mediates them to the Father. Peter wrote to explain the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who suffered, as an encouragement for us to carry on despite suffering. Ephesians 4, verse 11, Christ gave us some as apostles. They were specifically commissioned by God, by Christ, to preach and write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to reveal and explain Christ to us. Like I said before, the gift of the apostles ceased with the last one's death. John died on Patmos, and that was the end of the gift of apostleship. It was for a specific time that we might have the New Testament scriptures that we can use. Christ's gift of apostleship also highlights his gift of all the scriptures, all those scriptures that speak to us and describe Christ to us. When I was a kid in Sunday school, they used to give you a little... Cute ways to sort of remember things, you know, like uh, I don't know what do you call those things with the the numbers in front of the thing. Never mind. <laughs> Obviously, it didn't stick too well. What I'm talking about, you know, like it's acts, acts uh, acclamation, confession, thanksgiving, supplication—a way to remember prayer, right? Well, how do you remember Christ in the Bible? Sometimes I find it hard to say. Well, how does Christ fit here? But here's a little way to remember this: Christ is promised. In the words of the Old Testament prophets, Christ is revealed in the words of the New Testament apostles' gospels. Christ is explained in the words of the New Testament epistles. And Christ is glorified and promised again in the end in the book of Revelation. So Christ is all the way through the Bible, right? Scripture is inspired by God's Spirit. It's written by God's men. It reveals God's Son to God's people So that we may become Christ-like sons and daughters of God. Go back to Ephesians 4 and look down, and I want you to notice Paul's logic there. He says, he gave us these gifts, verse 11, for that's the purpose, verse 12, the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13. How long for? until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to a measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. To sum it up in one word, Christ-likeness. He gave us those scriptures inspired by God's Spirit, written by God's man, revealing God's Son, that we may become His sons and daughters and be conformed Transformed, changed from the inside out into the image of Jesus Christ. So, what is scripture like? I was listening this week to um, Stephen Lawson, Dr. Steve Lawson from America, a uh, Southern Baptist fellow, and he was preaching on the on the uh, preaching of the Reformation, Luther and Calvin and these other guys, and how they preached and how much they preached. It was amazing. Uh, George Whitfield. Um, preached uh, in a lot of part of his life some 30,000 sermons, a little more than three every single day of his life. And all he did as he went from Genesis to Revelation was he would preach Christ, preach Christ, preach Christ over and over and over again. Charles Spurgeon would take the Old Testament texts. He said, you know, if there wasn't a clear allusion or pointing towards Christ, you know, I'd just take a shortcut and get there anyway. And somehow he would take all those texts and he would show how Christ was in every single one of them. But I want us to know this. I want us to get this in the back of our heads, that God's word is God-breathed in 2 Peter 1 and verse 21. It's God's spirit revealing and explaining Christ to us. God's word is authoritative. It's God rightfully demanding our obedient submission to his will and his word. It's God's word is inerrant. Isn't that great courage, great comfort to know that God's word is absolutely inerrant? Without sin, without fault, without lack or without excess. You say, I wish he'd included this. He didn't need to. You know, I don't know why he included that. He needed to. Even Martin Luther said, James is the epistle of straw. I don't know why Paul or why the Lord included that, but later in life he began to realize there's a very good reason why God included that. The scriptures are inerrant, they're complete, they're sufficient. Second Timothy 3:15 and 16 makes that clear to us. Every single thing, brother and sister, that you need to live this life in Christ like obedience to God is all there. It's absolutely complete and sufficient. There's nothing lacking. It's not the Word of God plus something else. It's not the Word of God plus psychology, the Word of God plus self help books. Take my whole library and throw it all out and keep one Bible, one notebook, and one pen. I have all I need to do ministry. You take all your libraries, throw every single book you have out from Kurong that you bought for too much money, and you keep one Bible, one notebook, and one pen, and you have all you need. You say, why the notebook and the pen? Because I love the way as you read scripture and you begin to write, God brings things to mind. Not inspired, not sacred, just ways that he brings scriptures and texts and he puts ties connections together as you read your word of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I cannot emphasize it enough. We must be men and women who are in the word. Christ gave us these gifts. Every single one of them has to do with the ministry of God's word. We will not grow in likeness. We will not become Christ like men and women. We will not see us gain victory over sin unless we're in the Word of God. I think it was Spurgeon who said, "I put it in, the, in your bulletin by the little uh, Bible reading program." There, sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. It's absolutely true. You're struggling your life. You're struggling with sin. You can't seem to get a hold on it. Get a, get a beyond it. My first question to you is, how much are you reading? Where are you reading? How much you're taking what you read and putting it to apply in your life. One of the reasons why having a notebook and a pen and writing things down is God brings things to mind as we read. We make a note. We go back and we memorize and meditate and study those things. It's the best way to move ahead and become more like Jesus Christ. It's a love letter, isn't it? God in love for us gave us a letter. He told us everything he wanted us to know about the one person we need to know most about, which is Jesus Christ. It's his love letter to us. God's word is clear. It's powerful. It's perfect. Listen, there's no new revelation from God. I heard about a year or so ago now there's a group of people down in Southern California. Southern California, right? Go figure. That's usually where some of these guys come from. And these guys are there saying, hey, we've got new revelation. We're the new and the final generation of apostles. My first question is, really? What did Jesus look like? Because if you can't tell me exactly what he looked like, you're not an apostle. Were you alive in 0 AD? Were you alive in 33 AD to see Christ? Did you see, receive a personal commission from Christ to go out and preach and write like all the other apostles and disciples did? And you're not an apostle. And they're now writing things down. They're claiming these words are the final words of Scripture of God's revelation to man. It's nonsense. You throw it out. Uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. I know some folks that got really excited about the Dead Sea Scrolls and they're trying to compare the Dead Sea Scrolls to the books of the Bible. And I go, don't bother. Forget it. Dead Sea Scrolls, whatever they are, they're not, if they're not included in sacred scripture, forget it. It don't matter. They're as good to you as a MacArthur book or a Sproul book or a whoever else you like to read. They're great books. They might have really good information, but they are not sacred Scripture. We don't give any regard to them. From Psalm 19, we saw a powerful working of God's Word to transform us into Christ-like men. Listen again as I rattle through them. The Word of God restores the soul. It brings the soul back into a right relationship with God. That's the power of the Word of God. You have, you have in your hands the most powerful thing ever in existence. You know why? Because the greatest bomb that man can ever build to blow up half the planet cannot transform a soul from a state of go- ungodliness and wickedness and under the wrath of God to into God's presence, washed and clean and fit and prepared to meet Him. It can't do it. The greatest engineering, mechanical feat that man can ever come up with cannot accomplish anything like what the Word of God can accomplish. It's powerful. It can restore the soul. In verse 7, it makes wise the simple. In verse 8, it rejoices the heart. In verse 8 again, it enlightens the eyes that we might see and know how we are to walk and how we are to live. In verse 10, the Word of God is more desirable than gold. That's a little question for you. Can you say that about the Word of God in your life? If I have a choice between an ingot of gold roughly this size and weighing about what this thing weighs, what am I going to grab for first, the ingot or the book? You might want to take some time to think about that. But the psalmist says... More desirable than gold, yea, even fine gold, the refined, purified gold. This is worth more. You see, gold has a purchasing power that ceases at a certain point. It goes up and it goes down. Men will give all kinds of effort and time and money and all they can do to get gold. But at the end of the day, what happens to the gold? It let go. They can't take it with them. There's an old Jewish proverb that says, A man is born with his hands clenched. Watch my little guys come out and they're all like little fists up and they're grabbing for everything they can get. But when a man dies, his hands are open. He lets it all go away. The word of God is more valuable and more desirable to us than gold, even fine gold. It tastes better than honey in the honeycomb. It warns us and promises us great reward for obedience. God's word, sorry, God's word is all these things and more. But let me ask you the hard question. Is God's word being read and heeded and obeyed? I got a great collection of Bibles. I was in Savers this week with Brady and I found another little NIV study Bible for $9. Do you think I left it there? No way, man. I bought that thing so quick. And what good is a pack of Bibles sitting up on top of my shelf gathering dust like all the other books up there? It needs to be opened and read. It needs to be opened and worked through. Spurgeon said something like this, A Bible that is falling apart belongs to somebody who is not falling apart. Brothers and sisters, he gave us the gift of apostles to write the Word of God so we would know Christ. So we could sit under the sound of it. So we could have it wash us like water to clean us. So we could have it transform our lives. You're wrestling with sin in your life. Listen, how much time are you spending in the Word of God? And not just reading with your eyes glazing over like some of us do occasionally, but reading and soaking up what it says that it might impact us deep in our hearts. These are the words of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, as we read them, takes them and begins to work them from here and here down to here and out to here. So first of all, he gave us the apostles. He gave them to the church to speak and write scripture, explaining himself so that we can be Christ-like. Secondly, Christ gave some as evangelists. Ephesians 4 verse 11, he gave some as apostles and some as evangelists. Evangelists are messengers to herald and proclaim good news. Evangelists are called and gifted and equipped by Christ to call other disciples to become his disciples. So the word of God reveals Christ to us. The evangelist takes the word of God and, and goes out and brings in people in to become disciples. You say, does that mean that we don't have to do evangelism? No, it doesn't mean that. What it means is that there are some men and women you'll meet in your life, Christians, who have a particular gift to go out and evangelize. Uh, Paul Washers, a uh, guy I met down in New Zealand. He goes out and stands on the street corner. You preach up on a a soapbox. You preach preach and preach and preach and preach and people will stop and listen. He has a particular gift to stand there with no preparation but a Bible in his hand and proclaim the gospel of Christ in such a powerful way that people listen and hear. Does that remove my responsibility to go out and put a tract in somebody's hand? Or to go out and sit down on a park bench with somebody and say, Hey, can I talk to you for a few minutes? And in stumbling, stammering terms, is the best I'm able to share the gospel with that person. Does that remove the responsibility that all of us have to share Christ? The answer is no. But praise God that there are men that Christ gives to the church, men and women who have that ability, that gift of God, that when they go out they see somebody and they have that ability to just open their mouths and engage with that person and communicate the message of God's gospel to them so that they might believe. It's a powerful gift. They go out and they boldly declare the gospel, including the holiness of God and the justice of God and the wrath of God. They declare the, un- the infinite and unbounded love of God. Evangelists confidently and boldly declare the sinfulness of man. We need to know... As part of the gospel message that we are sinners who actively sin against God. We disobey his word and his will. We fail to love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And we fail to glorify God in everything we do. And the evangelist is one who is specifically gifted by God to clearly and powerfully communicate those truths. And I don't mean with a voice like a hurricane. Some of them have soft, gentle voices that sit down beside somebody at a park bench and just start to share the gospel. I read the life of uh, Dwight L. Moody. He's one of these guys back in Spurgeon's day who had a voice like a thunderclap. He he, he, He made a resolution in his life. He would not go to bed one single night in his life until he went out and shared the gospel with somebody. Nine o'clock at night, he's walking through the front entryway of his house, and it suddenly dawned on him that he hadn't shared the gospel with anybody that day, and so he opened the front door and he looked outside, and it's pouring rain in Chicago. And he saw a bus stop, and there's a man standing at a bus stop at 10 o'clock at, nine o'clock at night, late at night, waiting for a bus to come by. So he grabbed his umbrella and his Bible, and he went down across the road, and he stood beside the guy at the bus stop, and he started sharing the gospel with him. Shared it with him until the bus came, and the bus came and collected a brand new believer and went on his way, and D.L. Moody went home and went to bed. You say that I couldn't do that. You're right. But there are men and women who are gifted by God, the power of the Holy Spirit, to share the gospel, and they're able to do that without a lot of preparation. Christ gave to the church the gift of evangelists in the past. George Whitfield spoke 30,000 30, sermons in the last, couple, last 40 years of his life, I think it was. John Banyan, great evangelist. Jonathan Edwards, great evangelist. John Wesley, Roland Harris in, in Wales. Dwight L. Moody, that guy I was just talking about. Spurgeon, who was as much a pastor as an evangelist. Every time he opened his Bible and he preached the, a message in the Bible, he always got to Christ in the gospel. That was his gifting. And God is still raising up men and women to go out and preach the gospel and to make disciples. The gift of evangelism is not a gospel ministry isolated from everything else. The great commission that we have been given is twofold. And so quickly we forget the second part. Part number one is we preach the gospel. Mark 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew 28, 19 has the other side of it. It says, go out and make disciples. Jesus went along the beach. He saw two men fishing. He said, come and follow me. That's a gospel call. Leave behind everything you have and follow behind me. And he spent three years with Peter and James. Went to the next boat. Two other men still in the the boat fishing or washing their nets. Come follow me. Saw a Levite. Come follow me. And he gathered all these men, but then he spent three years with them, investing in their lives, learning who they were, teaching them the Word of God. And he made and trained up disciples. The reason we have apostles and evangelists and prophets and teachers and so on in the Word of God, given to us as gifts, is so that it's a complete package. The evangelists go out and call people to come follow Christ. The preachers, the prophets come in and teach and speak for God. They're God's spokesmen. But evangelism includes those two together. It isn't just preaching the gospel. It's also making disciples. But evangelism must include the message. There is an idea out there I heard from some young men not so long ago. You can do evangelism without ever speaking about Christ. And I said, No, you can't. Oh, yeah, no, no, it's okay. What you do, you, you just go out and give practical works of love to show the love of Christ to people. And I said, Really? An evangelist is one who is equipped with a message. In the old times, in the Greek, uh, times of the Greek wars, Two men would go out to fight, two kings would go out to fight, and one would win and one would lose. And the winning king would gather some men called evangelions. You can see where the word goes to, evangelion, evangelists. And he would say, run to the defeated king's cities and tell them the good news that I have beaten their king and they are now my subjects. And call them to obedience to the new king. And the evangelist would run to the cities and he would bang on the city gates and he would say, hear ye, hear ye. Great king, whats his name, has beaten great king not so great and now he rules and reigns. You have two options, two options. You can either follow the new king and submit to his rule and reign, or you can choose to stay with the old king. And when the new king comes and rewards all his followers, the ones who follow will get a reward. And when he disciplines and punishes and probably kills all his remaining rebels, if you didn't follow him, you'll be disciplined and punished. That's the gospel message all there. Our King has won the victory. And He is coming again. And He's going to gather all the peoples together and split them apart. Those who followed Him and those who rejected Him and those who followed Him will get the reward. And those who rejected Him will be cut off and cast out into outer darkness where there's no hope and nothing but pain and suffering. That's the gospel. But it's a message. It's a message that's proclaimed. You can't do evangelism without a message. And the message, where does it come from? Word of God. Christ gave the Word and He gave these gifts that we might minister to the Word, both to the church and to those outside and around the church. So here's the question. Have you, sitting here in this church, heard the gospel call and responded to it? I used to hear a little phrase that I now realize is not quite accurate. The phrase went like this. We come together to worship, we go out to witness. We come together for teaching, we go out to preach the gospel. But here's what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15. So all the way through from 1 Corinthians 1 to 1 Corinthians 14, he's teaching and correcting the church. You know what he does in 1 Corinthians 15? I proclaim to you the gospel which I proclaimed back then, and which you've heard. And he speaks about Christ's death and burial and resurrection. And he calls them to faith. This is in the church. And listen, brothers and sisters, it is possible to grow up your whole life inside the four walls of a church and never have come to that place in your own life where you personally have trusted in Jesus Christ, where you personally have have repented of sin and claim Christ as your Savior and begin to walk with Him and follow Him. I've heard stories, brothers and sisters, of men preaching the gospel in the pulpit and coming to faith themselves. I've heard stories of men and women in churches for 50 and 60 years and late in life suddenly realizing that they're not truly saved. And so my first question this morning goes out to all of us. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you, not did you, not did you once, are you now trusting Jesus Christ for salvation? Are you repenting of sin? Every time you become aware of sin in your life, you strive in the power of the Holy Spirit to put it off. It's a question that's got to be asked. And if you need to go home and open the word of God and get down your knees before it and examine your own heart to be sure that you know Jesus Christ, that you truly are saved, I urge you with all my heart, do it. Paul said, examine yourselves to be sure that you are in the faith. He also said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work through the gospel and see if it applies to you. If you really know Christ. The greatest tragedy in all the world, brothers and sisters, is that great day to come when Jesus, in fact, does return the conquering king to separate the group. Sheep and goats, for you to stand there and say, Yeah, but you know, I went to Noble Park Baptist Church for 40 years. You know, I faithfully served, I gave my money, I, I showed up every Sunday that I could. And he says, Depart from me. I never knew you. We used to ask people, Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me ask you a slightly more hard question Does Christ know you? It's got to be considered and answered. The second question is this Is God calling you to go out and be an evangelist? And your immediate reaction was probably, Oh, no, no, no not, not me. No, no, no. Well, let me ask you this how do you know? I I'll tell you for years, not not many years, a number of years, I wrestled really very much whether God had really called me to preach or not. I struggled very much with a speech impediment. I'd speak too fast and I'd mumble and stumble and and I could preach four sermons in the space everybody else could preach one. I could just do it so quickly. And I wrestled, Lord, have you really called me? And one day I was reading a book by Piper, uh, John Piper, speaking about Spurgeon. He said, you know how you know you've been called to that ministry? If there is an overwhelming, overpowering insurmountable urge in deep in your heart to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to declare it no matter what to whoever will listen I was sitting in a ferry lineup in British Columbia waiting to get back on BC ferries and I just about leaped out of my car one of those eureka moments because God had put that burning desire in my heart and I I struggled with so many different things about preaching I was terrified of public speaking type things. But God put a desire there. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as God put a desire in your heart to go out and preach the gospel to anybody who will listen. And here's my calling on you. If that, you think that desire is there, go out and preach the gospel. Plead with God for help. You say, I'm so scared I can barely open my mouth. I get it. I know. Plead with God for help and go out and preach the gospel. That gift that he gave, he gave some as apostles. That's a finished thing. Evangelists, prophets, those are ongoing gifts. He is still raising up men and women. And you might not ever be a Billy Graham or a Paul Washer or somebody everybody knows everything about. You might go off to some far corner of the world and preach the gospel faithfully where nobody on YouTube has ever heard your name. But do a great work for God, and God will use you powerfully if you're willing to be fully committed and surrendered to Him. You say, I'm not sure if I have that gift. Here's my one piece of advice. Try it out. Uh, In your bulletin, not this week, but next week and the week after, there's a two-part article by... Uh, Dr. Timothy Keller from Presbyterian Church in America Writing about spiritual gifts I encourage you to read it Especially the second one He gives you some really good practical advice About how to know your gifts Not this week's one It's the one next week and the one after And you'll get them next two weeks Our time is fast going away Uh, So I think what I'm going to do Is I'm actually going to leave it there And I'll pick up the other part of it when we get back Uh, Some of you know Heather and I are leaving on Tuesday to go to Canada for a couple of weeks for a vacation. But listen, 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 listen. God gave us these gifts, the Word of God, the spiritual ministry, word ministry gifts, to be used in the church to bring us to Christ, to teach us Christ, so we might learn Christ. I can't wait to get to the part about prophets and pastors. Preachers and pastors, as the Bible sees them, and the important role they are in the church. But brothers and sisters, I guess I want to give you this this challenge. How much time are you spending in the Word of God? Oh, I don't have time. I'm so busy. You know, I got this to do and that to do. I used to use that experience, like excuse <clears throat> until one day I examined and discovered my... My time that I had available always somehow included a bit of TV time and a bit of... I like YouTube videos, especially on woodworking, being an old woodworker. So I always spend time doing those. Oh, but you know, I'm so busy. I've got to study for my sermons. I just got to get... You know, so I start pulling my Bible out and get my Bible program open. I do study and research. And the, my Bible sits there. And I I'm, I don't hear voices, okay? Don't get me wrong. But I think if that poor Bible could speak, it would say... You haven't read me yet today, just for you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this word, this, the word of God that you hold in your hands is the greatest, most powerful thing that God has ever put together that will transform your lives. The word of God, I commend it to you. As much I, I so badly want to just keep right on going, but it's, it's getting late, so I we'll. won't. Let's pray. Loving Father, I come before you again and give you thanks this day for the word of God that we have before us. The word that restores, the word that enlightens our eyes, the word more desirable to us than gold, much fine gold, the word that is sweeter to us than honey in the honeycomb. Father, remember the experience, I believe it is, of Jeremiah who was told to eat the word. It tasted like sweet honeycomb in his mouth. Father God, you have called us out of this world. You have called us to be a people for the Lord Jesus Christ. You have called us to be Christ-like. You have given us the Spirit of God to dwell within us. And you've given us the Word of God. And Father, I marvel at how those two great gifts work. The Spirit of God that can take the words of God as we read them and use those words to transform us from the inside out. But, Father, it is required, it's necessary for us to pick up that word, to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to meditate over it, to chew over it like a perfectly prepared piece of meat that we might get all the goodness and all the richness from it. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you, O God, for the way that you raised up those apostles, those men of God, and you commissioned them to explain and reveal Christ to us. Father, we thank you that your word that you have put together contains no excess and contains no lack. Father, every single page and every single word on every page testifies to who Christ is, either implicitly or explicitly. Father, we ask you this day that you would work in all of our hearts, that you would transform us by the power of the Spirit of God, that we might be Christ-like men and women. Father, we ask you for your help, and we give you thanks, O God. In Jesus' name, amen.